Welcome to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl. It is Monday, June 28th. On today's show, how much a referee's whistle can impact a playoff game. Before we get there, we will start in a very familiar place. One reason why gambling should be legal in Utah. Last night was game three between the Hawks and the Bucks. I am on an absolute heater when it comes to NBA player props. It's a curse and a blessing. The blessing is that I'm making money. I'm having a grand time. I'm enjoying life to the fullest extent. The curse is at some point it will crash and I'll lose probably 300 bets in a row and it'll be a very sad time in my life. We don't need to concentrate on that side. We need to concentrate on the side that I'm on a heater in the present day and I'm happy. Last night, I have about 10 different props out. The one I'll concentrate on is Chris Middleton and over six and a half rebounds. The first half, it's back and forth. Hawks go up 15. Chris Middleton's grabbing a rebound here, grabbing a rebound there. Bucks come screeching back. It's tied at the half. Very enjoyable basketball game. Minute or two into the third quarter, he gets his seventh rebound. My ticket's already cashed. I'm looking down my list of props. I'm going, all right, cash that ticket, cash this one, sit back, enjoy the game. It's the best possible experience when you have money on a game. To cash your ticket way early, and then you sit back, you go, whoever wins this game, I don't care. I don't care how the total shakes out. I know that Chris Middleton grabbed his seventh rebound. I'm pleased with that. And two thumbs up to whatever the outcome of this game is. So the fourth quarter, very enjoyable. Chris Middleton goes bonkers in the fourth quarter. He outscores the Atlanta Hawks by himself, 20-17. He's hitting huge three after huge three down the stretch. Helps Milwaukee take a two-to-one lead. Enjoyable basketball game. Enjoyable night of gambling. And one reason why gambling should be legal in Utah, because it will turn an already enjoyable game into ecstasy. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. The impact of referees is not a very sexy subject. And before everybody listening or watching tries to go and run away and hide under a rock and turn this off, bear with me because there's a side to the referee discussion that is boring as hell. Uh, You know, listening to a fan of a team gripe about how their team is screwed over constantly by the refs and by the league. And that's just every fan ever. Uh, That's boring. That's not really what I want to concentrate on today because I think there's a much more nuanced and interesting interesting discussion when it comes to refereeing uh, and how it impacts A, a win or a loss within the playoffs, and B, the legacy of a player or a team that's tied into the first part. Um, it's kind of dumbfounding at times or maddening or, or pick your descriptor of choice how large of a role referees can play within these games. Um, and I spoke to that boring side earlier which is there, and I felt that way at times with my own teams, with the Avalanche, or when I watch the Jazz sometimes, or or go down the list, or the Green Bay Packers. And and I watch a game, and I go, I can't believe, the refs were out to get my team in this game. It's astounding. Let me list this call, and this call, and this call. And that all all is usually true. Uh, The flip side of that is, you go to fans of the opposing team, 
and they can come up with a list just as long of ways that their team was screwed by refing in the same game that is also true, and it, you just realize, oh, I think that these are humans that are refing, and they make as many mistakes or more than the players and the coaches themselves. And so at the end of a game, if you want to really crack down on this, you can find 20 wrong calls against this team and 20 wrong calls against that team, and it's just unfortunately part of the game. Um, the much more interesting side of this equation is viewing these referee mistakes sometimes, but more interestingly, the way they interpret what a play is or how to call a game, viewing that specific thing through the prism of how does this reflect on a player or a team's legacy. Um, Every fan has been on the wrong side of an atrocious referee call that has cost their team the game. It's the most maddening way to watch your team lose. Nothing will trump it. It's so disheartening, frustrating. You want to bash every TV in your house and throw your controllers against the ball. I think back in my own uh, sports viewing experience to the fail Mary in 2012. Seahawks, Packers, Monday Night Football, big game. The NFL at that time has somehow determined they don't want to pay their actual referees, so they have replacement referees. It was just a shit show of epic proportions. And it comes down to the final play of the game for the Seahawks, who are trailing. Russell Wilson hoists up a Hail Mary. Golden Tate jumps up. He's, people are shoving everyone around. Uh, there's the iconic photograph of... Him and a Packers defender both clutching the ball. It looks like the Packers have actually just intercepted it. One ref is signaling a touchdown. The other is signaling a touchback. Packers possession. It goes to review. It looks like, in my opinion, as a Packers fan, very clearly like Packers were the ones who caught the ball. They possessed it. Then Golden Tate jumps in and puts his hands on it at the end. Uh, And the refs interpret this to be a touchdown for Seattle. Game over. Packers lose. Very maddening in the moment, even more so when the season ended. And that game is the difference between Green Bay getting a home field advantage and bye within the playoffs and having to go on the road and get beat by the 49ers that year. Very, very frustrating experience. And one that anytime I think of these egregious calls that can cost a team a game, that's the first thing that always pops into my mind. Oh man, the fail, Mary. I mean, just... That was, that, that, that was something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy when it comes to how your team could lose a game. And a ref always impacts the outcome of a game, of a win or a loss. It's a lot more rare that it's that noticeable, that glaring, uh, as it was with the fail Mary. But their hands are, are always muddling the outcome, either in the way that they choose to call a game or from one individual call itself. So I'm going to rewind two nights ago because there were two plays that really interested me in the context of this conversation. And I noticed them in real time because that's just kind of how my brain works when I'm watching sports. I I pick out these individual moments and go, oof, that's very big right now as it's happening. And depending upon how this game turns out, it will either be one of the main talking points or it will just be kind of washed away in the history of how basketball games are won or losses. Uh, 3.9 seconds to go in the game. To set the stage, it's game four of Suns Clippers. Suns are up 2-1 in the series, chance to go up 3-1 in this, uh, and close out tonight in game five. So they have the ball. Just under four seconds to go. They lead by two. They're inbounding in their own backcourt. And Chris Paul 
who up until this point has not played a very good game. He receives an inbound pass. He's doubled by Nick Batum and Patrick Beverly. Uh, And in real time, it looks like he just kind of runs and is anticipating a foul and falls down, which would be a travel. And I see that as a person who is bet on the Suns minus one, and I go, oh, no. Oh, no, it's going to be Clippers ball. Ref blows a whistle and calls foul. So now I'm going, okay, I must have missed something that looks, uh, all right, sweet. They're shooting free throws. They can ice the game. My bet, okay, this is going to be fine. Goes to replay. It doesn't go to replay, but it's showing replay on the television as Paul is going down to shoot free throws. And it looks like not a lot happened. It looked like Paul anticipated a foul coming. Uh, Beverly whisks by in front of him. Batum stays away from him on the other side. And he grabs the ball and he falls down and he kind of rolls around. Again, would have been a turnover, and it would have been a very enormous play uh, at this point in the game. And as soon as that play happens, I go, man, A, the Suns are a little bit lucky that this is how a ref chose to interpret what happened in this play. But this is a great case in point for one of the main themes of this show. What I'm always talking about when I say random chance and luck play such an enormous outsized role in the outcome of these games that it's kind of funny sometimes that that we'll sit here and judge a player or a team and say they can't win or they can win simply because they haven't won or they did win. Um, A ref sees a foul on this play and it ices the game for the Suns. Chris Paul goes down, hits two free throws, game over, pretty much. Prevents an egregious turnover. If a ref sees that play and says that's... Uh, travel. Uh, it's Clippers ball. Now they have the ball, a chance to tie or to win with four seconds to go. They end up hitting a huge shot there. Uh, and that's a play that we look back at in Chris Paul's career for all of time. You remember that time when they had a two-point lead up 2-1 in game four of the Western Conference Finals, and he committed a turnover, and the Clippers hit a three from Reggie Jackson, and that ended up swinging the series. These are enormous plays that very rarely turn into that particular thing. Uh, it swings everything. When they do, we don't ever forget it, but they just get pushed away and kind of uh, washed by the wayside, so to speak, if nothing happens, which is what will happen with this Chris Paul play. Uh, it benefits him. It benefits the Suns. It benefits my bet. It benefits the legacy of Paul, who in that game, he shoots six for 22 from the field. He commits four turnovers. He's one for seven in the fourth quarter. And none of that matters. Because Phoenix won, and Chris Paul is one win away from going to the NBA Finals. And if they come through on that, who cares how they got there? Who cares if, you know, uh, one ref's whistle went their way in this particular moment? You have to have that to win. You have to. That's something that I always am trying to hammer home. It's not that the refs are favoring you or that they hate the other team. Refs have such an impact on who wins or loses that the simple way they interpret how each individual play in crunch time happens, that will impact who wins or who loses. There's a play four seconds earlier that fits that exact same bill. Campaign has the ball for Phoenix. There's eight seconds to go. Suns are up by one point. Uh, He gets pressured by Batum. Hits it out of bounds. And it looks like... uh, mirror image of a play that happened in game two that looked like it was going to make the Clippers win. Two players going for the ball. It's initially ruled out off LA. And then on replay, when you slow it down in those moments that I don't really love, 
It seems like it's going out off the pinky finger of the ball handler. Uh, and in this case, it was Cameron Payne. And the refs, they have the decision that they can take that to review if they want. And they don't do it. This is one of those things. It's an interpretation. They could have gone to review, which I think probably would have followed the same pattern as game two where they reviewed and said, oh, it's actually Clippers ball. Here you go. You're down one. There's eight seconds to go. You have a chance to take the lead. Instead, Phoenix goes to the line on the ensuing possession after they inbound. Paul hits two free throws, sets up the other Paul play with 3.9 seconds to go. This is all part of how games are won or lost. Uh, And for me, an impartial observer, I don't care who wins this series. I don't really care who wins the other series in the East. But I'm very uh, aware of enormous plays like these. That in this case, they'll just kind of be washed away as soon as the series ends. Because why would we remember just these two random plays in the the context of the, the greater plays that we'll remember from the series, like DeAndre Ayton's alley-oop in Game 2? But they're always there for the winning team. They have to be. Because refs will always play a role in how a game is won or lost. So Game 4 of Suns Clippers, it's one of the most hideous games of basketball that you can ever watch. Again, it won't matter if Phoenix goes on to win the series and go to the finals. Nobody will care, and they shouldn't. Uh, It's a total rock fight. Phoenix, they shoot 36% from the field. They shoot 4 for 20 from 3. That's 20%. On the opposition side, Clippers shoot 32% from the field, 5 for 31 from 3. That's 16%. The fourth quarter, it's 15 to 14 Suns. Suns win 84 to 80, 84 points. That's the lowest point total for a winning team in the regular season or the playoffs this season. You get the picture. Uh, And why I'm talking about this on today's show, this issue of refing, is because in a game like this, this is where it will really come to light. Uh, And it really shines a big, giant spotlight on kind of the negative side of A, NBA refing, but B, just how much refs can impact a game. You watch game four of Suns Clippers or you watch really NBA game, but this game, again, shines a giant, enormous spotlight on it. You see the constant complaining. You see the reviews that take five hours. You see the lack of reviews is the case in the campaign call. You see the blown calls. You see different various interpretations of what a call actually is, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's the side of the NBA that I struggle and have a very hard time with. Just how much refs can impact a game and the way that the culture of the NBA has shifted into leaning into that is a determining factor. How can I manipulate a ref into helping my team win a game? You know, it starts with the constant flopping. Uh, Going in game four, you watch Patrick Beverly the whole game. And you just, you could see it eight times on any possession. He's hounding Devin Booker. He's doing a great job at that. Um... And he's, anytime there's contact, he's grabbing his face, he's falling down, he's grabbing his jersey and then pulling him down and hoping that the refs call the foul on Booker. Indeed, in that game, Booker ends up fouling out. A large part of that is because of this style of play, what referees will enable to happen within a playoff game. Hey, put the onus on me, and I'm going to be forced to make a call. And if I make calls in your favor, uh, that moves the needle 0.5 percentage points in your direction, whether or not you're going to win or lose. And every team has multiple players like this. You know, Pat Beverly is not a singular player in the NBA. Every team has a bunch of players like this. 
I'll go out. I'll flop a bunch. If the ref calls in my favor, that's going to enhance my team's chances of winning the game. Ref gets baited into that constantly. uh, And strangely enough, that somehow becomes a reflection on the losing team, something I struggle to grasp in my mind when it comes to understanding the legacy of a team or a player when they lose or when they win. Uh, The constant complaining, you see that same thing. That's something that lesser NBA fans or people who just watch basketball casually will always say to me, how do you watch that kind of stuff? And honestly, I go, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Maybe I've just gotten used to it because that's what the NBA has become. But on any given possession, you got five people flailing their arms and trying to get in the ref's face about, I was fouled or this person did this or that, trying to move the needle in this slight direction. Because refs are allowed to impact the game in the way they do, it behooves players and coaches to constantly be in the ear of every ref play after play after play, because maybe at one point you can swing this individual play in your way, and that's the difference between a win and a loss. Uh, The constant trolling and trying to bait refs into foul calls rather than actually trying to score. This has been a constant source of frustration for me. And you see that with almost every star player in the NBA. Um, James Harden has built a career off of that. And... Stat nerds love him. Analytic nerds love him. People who watch basketball, for the most part, don't love it because it's not a very enjoyable brand of basketball. Uh, get the ball in my hands. I have 20 different ways of getting a defender to jump into me or be by me, and I can hook their arm, or I can bump into them and throw my head back at the right time. And for whatever reason, refs will continually buy into the idea that these are fouls. This is the way that the NBA is refed in present day. So in a different world... Uh, he isn't allowed to shoot 18 free throws in a game off of this style of play. In today's NBA, it behooves players to play and act like that. Uh, One of the breakout stars, if not the breakout star of this year's playoffs, is Trey Young, who has very similar mannerisms uh, alongside a great offensive skill set, which James Harden also has to both of their credits. But they understand what the league is. And they understand, I can put a lot of onus on a referee by just constantly bucking my head Anytime a player is near me and jumping sideways and backwards and getting them up off their feet when I'm near the three-point line and then jumping up underneath them and doing all these things that drive people insane, but the NBA allows to happen. And in turn, uh, it gets defenders off kilter and it moves the needle for that player's team, the Nets or the Rockets in the past with Harden and the Hawks in present day with Trey Young. It moves the needle for their team. I want to read two things from Kevin Pelton of ESPN when it just kind of comes to the state of the NBA and the culture that really has been built over the last years and years and years. Back in 2002-2003, there were only .47 three-point shooting fouls per game, and the foul rate on three-point shots was just 1.6%. This season, there were 2.6 three-point shooting fouls per contest, and the foul rate on triples was 3.8%. Even though we are seeing just over twice as many three-point tries now compared to then, we are seeing five times as many three-point shooting fouls these days than we did 20 years ago. And three-point shooters are more than twice as likely to be fouled in the act these days. So, what's happening? Why are three-point shooters more than twice as likely to get fouled now than they were 20 years ago? Are defenders irresponsibly making more contact as they close out on shooters? Are they unaware of the severe cost that comes with sending a three-point shooter to the line? No, the answer is far simpler and far more concerning for the NBA. It's hijinks, folks. And he goes on to say, 
Changes are coming. That much is certain. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the NBA's competition committee is exploring rule changes this summer that would restrict unnatural motions by jump shooters used to draw fouls, such as jumping sideways or backward into defenders to earn a trip to the line. That's a great start. We are seeing too many cynical, whistle-chasing plays in too many big moments. End quote. Again, this is deeply intertwined with what the NBA is in present day. Uh, and this is a tiny, tiny step. I, I like the idea that they're trying to weed out these plays that players like Harden and Trey Young have mastered. Uh, these cynical, whistle-chasing plays where you bait a defender into movement and then actually do unnatural motions yourself to kick out your legs or jump sideways or backwards and suddenly the foul is on the defender in a play that never would have been a foul in the past. But players understand in present day, hey, refs are more than willing to give us that. And that's a big boost for our team. You get three free throws as a 80-plus percent free throw shooter. We're getting over two points possession. Hell yeah. Like, that's the most efficient possible possession you could get as a team and as a player. Uh, and this is the kind of stuff that I think a lot of NBA fans and even casual fans, they want weeded out. Again, it's a baby step. To break down a culture that's been built up over the course of at least a decade, it's a lot harder, a lot harder issue to engage with. Uh, and it's a lot harder to just tell refs to turn off the part of their brain that has been commonplace for 10 years and say, that's not a foul now. And why are you calling all of these things? Uh, your main job should probably be to stay out of the way as much as possible. You know, let the players play, as they say. But we really don't want to see what a lot of NBA games are decided by. Uh, referees outsize impact on a game. Uh, whistles over and over. Reviews over and over in the last two minutes. This is the kind of stuff that uh, we'll forget about in 10 years, but in present day is maddening to watch, infuriating for viewers, and does drastically alter the outcome of who wins and who loses. I'll shift gears to the other sport that's reaching its climax. The NHL, Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Stanley Cup finals game one is tonight, Montreal, Vegas. And hockey has similar but different issues to the NBA when it comes to refs impacting the outcome of games. In the NBA, I think refs, they lean into, I'm going to blow my whistle and I'll be the determining outcome of this particular play a lot more than hockey is willing to do. The traditional uh, way a playoff game is refed in hockey, swallow your whistle. Any hockey fan knows this. You just kind of expect it. It's a little bit bizarre. Actually, it's more than a little bit. It's pretty bizarre, but we've just accepted it because that's been the culture of hockey. In recent years, it's gotten even worse. Uh, and it, we've watched as star players within the NHL, like uh, Connor McDavid, the best player in the world, uh, gets manhandled by teams that are allowed to push the envelope on this relaxed playoff style of officiating where a ref just goes, I'm going to stay out of the way, do whatever the hell you want. I want to read a quote from Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. The average penalty minutes per team per game in the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs is nine minutes and 18 seconds, according to Elias Sports Bureau Research, which tabulated the penalty minutes through Tuesday night's game. That's the second lowest penalty minutes per team per game in any of the past 30 NHL postseasons. The lowest total? That would be the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs, when teams averaged just 8 minutes and 44 seconds in penalty minutes per game. The two least penalized playoffs in the past 30 tournaments happened in the past two postseasons held outside a pandemic bubble. 
End quote. So let's go back to Connor McDavid. Best player in the world. Gets swept in the first round. He and his team by the Winnipeg Jets. A lot of smart people within the, the writing world. They've published articles and talked about, eh, by my count, give or take, there's about 30 different uncalled violations through four games that by regular season officiating standards, you could have easily called a minor penalty on Winnipeg for the way that they played Connor McDavid. Instead, in this game, or in this series, zero drawn penalties out of about 30. You go to Twitter and you search any tweet thread that comes to McDavid and the way that he was officiated in this series, you can see an incredible array of just blatant penalties that even casual hockey fans or people who don't really watch the sport would look at and go, is that legal? And me, someone who watches it very closely, would say, no, no, that's the furthest thing from legal. Uh, The most egregious, there's a crazy knee-on-knee hit at one point within that series that, I mean, in my opinion, you could easily call a major penalty, uh, uh, something that McDavid is very lucky to get up from and not have his knee blown out. One of those plays that you definitely want weeded out of a sport happening to anybody, much less happening to your very best player. And instead, no whistle, go about your day. And it's part of the crazy culture of hockey and the way that it's refed. One of the frustrations that I have, why does the NHL lean into this? Why do they go out of their way to, instead of showcasing their talent, uh, neutering it come playoff time? Saying we're more than willing to say refs. Yeah, two of the last three postseasons, these are the two least penalized postseasons in the last 30 years. We're fine with that. Uh, What that means is the speed and the skill that you want displayed in your sport, which someone like Connor McDavid has in great quantities, that's going to be neutered drastically. And this game will turn into just a muck it up bog that doesn't showcase skill and becomes more about just who got a really lucky bounce at the right time. Uh, and, and, And it doesn't showcase what you want people to think of when they think of your sport, speed, skill, high-flying act, all that kind of stuff. Instead, the NHL kind of goes the opposite way, and they're more than willing to say, eh, yeah, sure. Uh, just tackle him when he's coming through center ice, knee to knee him, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the NHL, or, or the playoffs, it's a different beast. You know, It's about getting into the corners and taking a cross-check and, and giving one back, and we won't call that, uh, and just digging the puck out, and all the kind of stuff that, Yeah, it is somewhat part of hockey, but it's not the most entertaining aspect of it. Instead, that part is drastically reduced the way that the playoffs are refereed. I I think of Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals, or the Conference Finals, whatever the hell they are at this point in time. But the Islanders are playing the Lightning. And Scott Mayfield of the Islanders goes into the corner and delivers just a blatant, as hard as you could possibly cross-check, cross-check on Nikita Kucherov of the Lightning, one of the stars of the NHL, incredibly enjoyable player to watch, just hammers him right on the hip, right in front of a referee. No call, no penalty, no suspension. Uh, it injures Nikita Kucherov. He finishes out the shift as soon as it's over. He leaves the ice, doesn't come back for the rest of the game. He plays game seven, but in a drastically reduced role in a way that you can tell he's still injured. He doesn't go and do a lot of the normal things that he would do. And I see stuff like that, and you can go down the list and find 20 different examples of similar things to the way that McDavid has played, to the way that this style of hockey is allowed in the playoffs in a way that it's not in the regular season. 
And I look at it and I say, why do we want this in the game, first of all? And second of all, how insane is it that this style of refing has a large impact on, first and foremost, who wins and who loses this game and this series? And then once that has played out, how insane is it that we use the outcome of this series to reflect on a player or a team's legacy? And just kind of push to the side, yeah, refs had an enormous impact on this. And maybe that should be factored in when we say this player can't win in the playoffs or this team can't win in the playoffs. So uh, I'll wrap all of this up. The refereeing extends to every sport. Uh, And they'll always have a large impact on the game because that's just the way that sports are structured. They have to be. Uh, When we think of these razor-thin margins between winning and losing, the thing that I'm always talking about. We only factor refereeing in if there's a particularly egregious call in a huge moment. Again, think of the fail Mary in 2012, something along those lines, like an all-time barf by a referee or a referee crew. But as this episode shows and is something that when you watch sports, you just, you're always aware of in the moment, and I think we tend to forget as time goes on, they're always present in determining who wins and who loses. You know, how is the game called, period? Baseball, what is the strike zone for any given game? That's an enormous determining factor. Changes depending upon the ref or the ump. Uh, how and when holding and pass interference is called in football. Changes depending upon the ref or the crew. Enormous factor in determining the outcome. Simple fouls in basketball. They happen on every play. How and when you decide to call those, enormous factor. Uh, And then going back to hockey, just the simple, am I going to call penalties or am I not going to call them? In the regular season, they're much more likely to call them. In the playoffs, uh, we're going to call these not often, and that will change and shape the way that teams can game plan and play within a game and a series. All of these things are just interpretations determined by a ref or by a crew. And again, I think we just forget about them once the series is over or the game is over. But we'll go back two nights ago to wrap all this up. You know, if the Suns win in game five tonight, we'll forget about calls like that Chris Paul call with under four seconds to go, like the campaign call with eight seconds to go uh, in game four. We'll celebrate Chris Paul going to the NBA Finals and being one of the very best point guards since the turn of the century, as we should. That's, that's the way that we should react to the Suns going to the Finals and Chris Paul getting there. But this show is another reminder that every little thing matters in separating a win from a loss, and which way a ref's whistle blows is always a big part of that. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.